welcome to the Beef Edge, the Chagas Beef Podcast, for all your latest news, information and advice for Irish beef farmers. I'm Catrigan, and on this week's episode, I'm joined by Orla Keane from Chagas Grange to discuss herd health and parasite control at this time. It's a good time of year when calving is over for a spring calving herd, and before it starts on an autumn calving herd, to review the herd health plan. Yes, now is a good time of year to review the herd health plan. And I suppose there's a few key aspects um, that you're looking at in terms of herd health planning. So the first one is disease prevention. Look, we all know that prevention is better than cure and uh, preventing animals getting sick is, is better than having to treat for the disease. So really, as much as you can, it's about disease prevention. And that's things like, you know, good hygiene. So that's proper cleaning, disinfection of pens, disinfection of boots, utensils um, and and any instruments that you're using. So ensure you've good foot baths at entry exit points. Um, Another key point when it comes to disease prevention is is vaccination. So there's a number of different vaccines out there for, for example, clostridial disease, respiratory disease. Um, so again, in consultation with your vet, using vaccination where appropriate to prevent disease is really important. And of course, you know, using um, testing as well. And um, knowing what diseases you have on the farm is really important in helping you uh, prevent them or manage them. So keeping good records is going to be a very important part of that. Now, then, of course, you can always bring in disease. So biosecurity is important. Now, the best way to prevent bringing in disease is to have a closed herd. And that's maybe not an option for a lot of people. So if you are buying in, just try to limit the number of sources that you're buying in from or try to buy from herds with a known high herd health status where you can. And when you do buy in stock, isolate them for four weeks before you mix them with the home herd. So all of these are kind of key ingredients of a herd health plan. You mentioned there the importance of biosecurity and hygiene, Orla. What's the best process for disinfecting calving pins and slatted sheds or disinfectants to be used at this time of year? Yeah, so so now is a good time to, to you know, terminally kind of clean, clean out um, the calving pens and the sheds and that. So the first important step is to remove all beddings and material and to make sure you clean out the pens and the sheds well so making sure you remove the dirt or any kind of dried fecal matter or anything like that some of the disinfectants they won't work if there's organic material present so all that needs to be removed then surfaces equipment fittings they should all be disinfected then uh, the sheds rinsed and left to dry. And then the longer that they can remain empty, the better, because we know that some pathogens survive for long periods of time in the environment. So the longer they remain clean and dry, the better. Now there's a lot of different um, disinfectants out there on the market. So you can always discuss the appropriate disinfectant to use with your local uh, vet or local advisor. And there is a list of disinfectants available on the Department of Agriculture website that lists disinfectants that are effective against different types of pathogens. So for example, disinfectants that are effective against um, TB. Um, And it's really, really important when you are disinfecting that you follow the correct instructions for the disinfectant that you use. So disinfectants will differ and they can differ in a different way. So they might have to be diluted differently. Some of them will kill some types of pathogens. And the contact time is also really important. So normally the contact time might be, you know, a number of hours. So it's really important for the project that you use that you check 
what the recommended contact time is and that you make sure you stick with that time. That's great, Orla. And you also mentioned there the importance that farmers are keeping records. And I suppose during calving time, farmers would have a record of what antibiotics were used and the treatment, be it for different types of scours or pneumonia on farm. What should farmers be discussing with their vets with regard to the amount of antibiotics being used? Yeah, so, you know, um, one of the issues with the use of antibiotics is that continuous use of antibiotics can lead to the development of antimicrobial resistance, where the pathogens develop uh, resistance to the antimicrobials that we use to kill them. And these are a threat not just to animal health, but for a number of the pathogens, they're also a threat to human health. So there's a real need and a real onus on, on everybody in, in, in um, human medicine and in veterinary medicine to ensure that all antibiotics use, it's, it's justified and it's prudent. So that we're only using them when necessary. So now is a good time to review how the calving season went um, in terms of trying to, you know, reduce antimicrobial use, it is going to come back to things like preventing disease. And um, so that's, you know, having good hygiene, having good biosecurity, having good housing, having the right stocking densities, vaccinating where you can. All of these kind of approaches will help reduce reliance on anti on antimicrobials. And a dosing plan would also be very important, especially at this time of the year when stock are out freezing and particularly in preventing antihelmintic resistance. What's the first indication that a farmer might see that there may be an issue on farm? Yeah, so so right now as, as stock are out of grass, you know, there's a number of parasites that will present a challenge, parasites like gut worms and lung worm and that. Um, and, and we know that these parasites are also developing resistance to the uh, drugs that we use to treat them. Now, one of the, I suppose, things you need to be very careful with, with the gut worms in particular, is that quite often by the time that you clinically see resistance, it's, it's quite far gone. Um, so, you know, when the drugs are killing a, a large number of the parasites, but not all of them, you might not see that clinically. Uh, you'll only see that by testing, and that's by testing dung samples uh, before and after treatment for parasite eggs to ensure that the parasites are killed. Um, if you see it clinically, so if you see no improvement after using the treatment, that will be an indicator of resistance. But at that point, the resistance is usually quite far along and it's much harder at that point to slow its further development. So I think it's important to be proactive and to be keeping an eye on this um, before it gets to the point where there's clear clinical failure. So can you discuss the difference there between the faecal egg reduction test that you've mentioned and then a post-dosing faecal egg count? Yeah, so, so the, the two, I suppose, if you just take a post-dosing sample and it's clean, as in there are no parasite eggs, um, you don't know whether that's because the drug worked or because there was no, there were no parasites there in the first place. So that's why it is preferable to have a sample both pre and post treatment, so that you know that there were parasites there, there were eggs in the dung, and after treatment, um, there are no eggs remaining because the parasites have been killed. Now you can do individual sample testing pre and post, but that tends to be very expensive. So what most people do is a composite sample pre and post. Um, and that um, gives you a good indication of whether the drugs are effective or not. How much of a reduction should you see then from the pre and the post faecal egg count? 
So, you know, the, the definition in, in terms of the, the kind of scientific definition, which is set by the Association for the Advancement of Veterinary Parasitology, say that there should be a reduction of 95% or more in the egg count. So really, when these drugs work, they're very effective. They, they, they kill all of the worms. So you, you really should be looking at, at quite a... Um, at a reduction of 95% or more. Now, you know, with composite samples uh, with low egg counts, that, that can be a little bit um, harder to, to determine. But in general, when these drugs work, there are no eggs remaining after treatment. That's great. And there is some confusion around the correct protocol for dosing and which products to use, such as changing a product or using a different name, but still having the same active ingredients. Can you discuss this? Yeah, so I suppose, you know, in terms of the antiparasitics, there tends to be two groups. There's the, the, the wormers, which target your stomach, gut worms, uh, lungworm, and then your flucocytes. So within the, you know, the major parasites at this time of year are generally the gut worms and the lungworm. So with, within the drugs that, that treat for those, look, there's a lot of different products on the market. But when it boils down to it, they all fall into one of three classes. And these are the benzamidazoles, which are commonly known as the white wormers, levamazole, which is commonly known as yellow wormer, and the macrocyclic lactones, which are commonly known as the clear wormers. So for all the products on the market, um, they'll fall into one of those three classes. And so if you want to change the product that you're using, it's important that you change the class, not just the brand name, because all of the products in the same class they act the same way. They kill the worms in the same way. So what that means is generally if a worm has resistant, resistance to, for example, one product in the white class, it'll also have resistance to the other products in the same class. So if you want to rotate your treatment, um, you should really be uh, making sure you're rotating the class and not just the brand name. Then the flucocides are separate again. There's a number of different flucocides. And I suppose the important thing to bear in mind there is that generally your gut worm, lung worm are a problem, you know, this time of year, your fluke is a problem later in the autumn and the winter. So generally you're treating for fluke at a different time of year. So therefore I'd only use combination worm or flucocides if you're specifically targeting both parasites. If you're only targeting one parasite, then um, there's no need to use a combination product. Orla, should that product be rotated every second dose or annually? So, um, you know, it's not actually all that important whether you rotate it annually or whether you rotate it every, every, second, um, every second dose. So, you know, if, if I had product available in the shed, I wouldn't be going out buying a product of a different class, but I would try to rotate them at least yearly. Um, but what's actually the most important thing to do is to use one that works. Use a product that's effective on your farm. So in terms of product choice, that's probably the key thing to know is what works on your farm and then use the products or the classes that are effective on your farm. In your opinion, what would be the best way for reducing worm burden on farm? Yeah, so, so I suppose this is, um, this is, is quite, uh, this can be quite tricky. Um, you know, the parasites are out there, they're on the grass, um, they're ubiquitous, they're on every farm in Ireland. In terms of reducing the challenge, there are a couple of things that can be done. So um, mixed grazing, for example, so for, for those farmers that have both cattle and sheep, mixed grazing is an option for reducing the challenge because the, the parasites that infect sheep are different to those that infect cattle. Um, 
well, the, the, the lung and the, the, the gut worm parasites are different. Um, the fluke is the same. So by mixed grazing with sheep, that will reduce the challenge for each species. Likewise, using leader follower systems where older animals follow younger animals or um, that can also help. They'll, they'll come along after them. The older animals generally have, generally have immunity, so they'll clean up uh, some of the parasites left behind by younger animals. And also using um, things like, you know, um, cleaner ground. So ground that is less contaminated with parasites. So things like reseeded ground or silage after grass, they'll all help reduce the, the worm burden. Um, but to be honest, you know, there's there's limits to how far that will go. So treatment may be needed at some point. So but it's just important that when that treatment is given, it's given appropriately. So it's given to the right animals at the right time in the uh, and at the right dose rate. Orla, a number of farmers in the past week have noticed that some of the springborn calves are coughing. What would be causing this at the moment? Look, I suppose there's a variety of different possibilities. I mean, the first one that would spring to mind at this time of year would be lungworm in calves. Um, and, and, you know, people might recognise uh, the signs of, of who's if they, if they see it. But of course, it is possible that there are, there are other respiratory pathogens out there that will also cause coughing. Um, so without testing, it's probably hard to know for sure, but it it. One possibility is, you know, to treat the calf herd with an anthelminthic that's effective against lungworm and monitor and make sure there's an improvement. And if there isn't, then probably further investigation with a, with a veterinary um, with veterinary guidance would be required. I know we're a long way off housing at the minute, but decisions made now in relation to what products farmers are using, how can that impact on what products will be used at housing? Well, I suppose the main thing to bear in mind at housing for um, the stomach worms is that most of the, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the products are effective against various different stages, except levamazole. So levamazole is not effective against the early, against very early infections. So that means if you are using levamazole at housing, you need to give it, you know, um, a week or two after housing, not at housing. The other two products, the white and the clear, they can be given at housing. Um, when it comes to flucicides, you know, um, generally they would need to be treated at housing. And again, maybe six to seven weeks later, depending on the product that's being used. And in some cases, what product is available on farm when dosing is being carried out? But looking at the product, what questions should a farmer be asking when they're considering using a product at the moment? Well, the main thing they should be they should be asking is what's the challenge out there at the moment? So what are they trying to control? And is that product the suitable product to control that, uh, to control the, the pathogen that they're they're looking to control? So that's the most important question at this time of year. That's great, Orla. Thanks very much. You're welcome, Catherine. That's all for this week's episode. And my thanks to Orla for joining me on the show. You can catch up on all other shows and interviews from the Beef Edge podcast on the Chagas website at chagas.ie or you can listen on Apple and Google podcasts as well as Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss a show. For all other updates from our Beef programme, keep an eye on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Until next time, I'm Kat Trinigan and thanks for listening.